this um, chilly, but not yet raining morning. Um, and to get us started, I wanted to tell you a little story of something that I experienced uh, in the spring of 2011. So spring of 2011, uh, Ben, who is now my husband, uh, we decide to run a half marathon in St. Louis, Missouri, where I lived at the time. Um, at that time, I had run one half marathon before. For anyone who's taken on a physical challenge, accomplishing one of those for some of us tends to make us feel like we can do more of these things. So signed up for another one. Uh, and this time Ben agreed. He was living in Oregon at the time to fly out and do it with us. And the day before the half marathon, since it was Ben's first, we decided to drive the route of the race because I didn't spend that much time in downtown St. Louis, didn't know exactly what it looked like. So we're driving around um, and it looks pretty, pretty flat, pretty easy. And so we stop at about mile 12 because I say, oh, I know the rest of downtown. It's an easy finish. No big deal. We leave. Fast forward to the next day uh, and we get through the part that we had driven through mile 12. And then we hit that last mile of the half marathon, the 13th mile. And we look up and notice that it is a steady slow and steady incline, the final mile. So for any of you, raise your hand if you've done any kind of distance distance race or even just a physical challenge the feeling when you get to whether it's half marathon right or marathon or even i have some crazy friends that do those ultra marathons where they run you know 50 miles at a time when you get to that that where you feel like you're close to the end what you don't want is a surprise incline because that feels pretty demoralizing so we look at that and we have two different responses so i tend to be um in a race situation I am faster the second half. So I get this second wind halfway through and I'm like, yeah, let's go. We're going to finish strong. Ben is stronger the first half. And so by the second half, he's slowing down. He's feeling like, okay, I'm just trying to pace myself to get to the end. And we hit that, we hit that point where we're looking at the last mile and Ben goes, I don't think I can do this. Like, I just don't think I can do this. Um, and we're, we're slowing down. And, and my posture at the moment, to be honest, I was a little frustrated because I wanted to finish that race strong. I didn't want to walk. I don't believe in walking at the end of the race. I just wanted to keep going. Um, but I knew that I was going to have to figure out how do I encourage Ben? How do we do this together, right? So we slowed down. We talked our way through it, right? Put one foot in front of the other. We're going to keep going. And slowly but surely, that last mile, which felt like it stretched on for a very long time, we made it and we crossed the finish line together. But what I learned from that experience is that encouragement was crucial, right? Encouragement was crucial to make it across that finish line together. Um, when I think about the word encouragement, it means to fill somebody with courage, right? To pour into somebody what they need to keep going, to keep going, to put one foot in front of the other. And I can think of no more fitting way to end this portion of the Christian year in 2020 than with a little encouragement. Um, what would it look like to continue to put one foot in front of the other together as a community? So this morning we're looking at Paul's opening, part of his opening in his letter to the church at Ephesus. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 to 23. I don't know about you all, but I feel acutely in this moment the need for encouragement. Um, we had a week where our youngest, who's two, Lydia, just had some weird symptoms. Um, and by Friday, reached a point where I thought, I need to call the doctor. We need to get someone to see her. But the internal, the, just the state of stress, the, the frantic state I was in as she's 
crying and we don't know what's going on helped me realize, oh, I'm this. I'm tired, right? This has been a long year. Um, I feel like I can't take one more thing that feels stressful. And so in this moment, let's turn our attention um, to how Paul speaks to the Ephesians. And then we're going to talk about what does that mean for us? What does it look like to be reminded of these same things? So let me read it aloud. You can follow along um, with the scripture that's posted in the chat box. So Ephesians 1 chapter, oh no, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 to 23. This is Paul speaking. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. So that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the things that strikes me um, about this opening that is grand and beautiful and paints this picture of God's power and authority um, and work in the world is that Paul is not writing this letter from a position of physical dominance or triumph, right? This is not crossing the finish line, feeling like you're at your best or at your strongest. This is Paul writing to this tiny church community while he's in prison, right? Where he is not free to leave his home, while he is isolated in many ways, and while his fate, right, what will happen in his future is not up to him. It's determined by Roman authorities. And yet, in the midst of all of that, he introduces his word to the Ephesians with so much encouragement and an interpretation of what they're experiencing. The first thing I notice about his interpretation is that it's rooted in gratitude. And it's not just gratitude for anything, it's gratitude for the community, which seems fitting for us, even as we're on the cusp of this week where we celebrate um quite frankly, a uh, revisionist history of the United States, right? We're about to get into a week where a holiday is a revisionist historical telling of the founding of this country. Um, And I would rather, I would rather be attuned to being grateful for the things that Paul is being grateful for, right? That there's still room for gratitude. And for, for Paul, that's rooted in community. So in verse 15, he tells this little group, that he's heard of their faith in God and their love for one another. And that leads to unending thanks on his part. What I notice is what the things that are not, sometimes what is not said or what is not written gives us insight or helps us understand what is being said. So what stands out to me is what is not being noted as the source of his gratitude. So Paul is not saying, I'm grateful ceaselessly because of the exponential growth of your church 
or your um frankly frankly concert quality music program or your amazing teaching ministry that's blowing up the mediterranean right none of that are the things that paul is thankful for he's thankful that this community exists and that they are holding on, that they're holding on to God and to one another as they're working out what it means to stay connected in community, what it means to love. Now, later in the in the letter, he's going to give some correction to the ways they've been doing that. But to start out, he says, little church, I am so thankful that you exist and that you're holding on. You are trying to love God and to love other people. And that is enough. And it is worth celebrating in the most... Um, extravagant terms that Paul can come up with, right? I pray without ceasing. I think without ceasing. Paul seems convinced that this is worth celebrating all the time. And if I'm honest, uh, I'm not always convinced that this is worth celebrating all the time, right? So this text challenges my underlying expectations of what is worth celebrating, what is worth being grateful for, especially in a season and a moment Um, where we look around and we don't see the church maybe showing up at our best, right? In this political moment, in this social moment. But that's what I notice. That Paul Paul, um, communicates extreme gratitude for this community and how they're living out their faith and how they're holding on. The second thing that I notice is that Paul's prayer for them, his hopes and his longing for this community is rooted in the desire that they would accurately know spiritual reality that might look different than what they see and experience in their daily lives, right? Spiritual reality might look and feel different than what they experience in their day-to-day lives. And for Paul, that spiritual reality is built on a simple and yet shocking premise that the same power that brought Jesus back to life, that brought Jesus to the other side of the grave, is at work in their community, is at work in the world, whether they're aware of it or not. So the comparison that Paul makes is that uh, the church, right, if, if the, the metaphor he uses is of a body, um, Christ is the head, the church is the rest of the body, and everything else that exists in the world has been put under the feet, under the bottom of this body. Paul calls those things in verse 21, the rule and authority and power and dominion. So Paul's understanding of spiritual reality is that there are other powers in the world. There are territorial spirits that have some kind of rule. And that's what we see around us. Um, Maybe that's what we experience in our day to day. Um, It may feel like those things are more powerful when we see injustice uh, continue, when we see political upheaval. But what Paul is saying is that those things don't have the final word, whether that's in the future or the present, that there is another reality at, pray, at play um, where Christ is king and Lord over all. My image for this is I've thought about it this week, about what it means to be rooted in this ultimate spiritual reality that Paul draws their attention to, um, is that it reminds me of the typical sky on a Pacific Northwest winter day, which is gray, and drizzly, and there's no light breaking through. But every once in a while, the clouds part, and we get this picture that behind all those clouds, there is sun that is shining constantly, that that thing is simultaneously true, even while what I experience when I look outside is the gray and the drizzle. Paul is saying that there's another ultimate spiritual reality that is not just dictated by what's around us. Um, It's something that is simultaneously true amidst the chaos and that Jesus is Lord and that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work 
um, in our little communities as we seek to hold on to Jesus and to hold on to love for one another. So part of the function of community is to remind one another that that sun is out there, right? That this picture of spiritual reality um, is true and is active, even when what we see and feel may not look like that. And I want to be clear that what I'm not saying is that somehow Paul's trying to invite them to deny their lived experience. I don't think it's that at all. And I've been a part of communities where you ask somebody how they're doing. And even when you know that there's a lot of hard things going on, the response is, I'm great. I'm blessed, right? As if I understand what's happening, right? I understand the impulse behind that is to say there's another reality at play. Um, But I think what Paul is saying is that both those things can happen simultaneously. And part of the work of community is that we remind one another in those moments where we've hit a mile that we just don't want to keep walking. We remind one another um, that Jesus is Lord and that we keep going together. Paul's letters, all of them, are written to a group of people. It's written to a community and a y'all, if you will, not a you individual, keep walking, tell yourself to put one foot in front of another. It's written to a group of people. Um, He's saying to this group, we really can't do this. Keep going. Hold on to God. Hold on to one another. One of my favorite things to do uh, before March when you know, the pandemic began for us and there were all these new rules in place. One of my favorite activities was to go grocery shopping with Nathan. So Nathan is our middle child. Nathan was my errand buddy in all things, always up for jumping in the van and going on an errand. And that quickly changed when we realized, well, if we don't have to take the kids out, we're not going to. And so Nathan hasn't run an errand with me since March. Um, And that was some of our special kind of mom and Nathan time together that we've been missing out on. Um, Friday, one of the silver linings of Lydia's trip to the doctor is that they were giving away masks and they were giving away youth sized masks that actually fit on my kids faces, which just hasn't been the case. Right. My kids have masks, but they gap at the nose. They don't stay on their face. It's not not a good situation. So I came home with a mask for Nathan that totally fit his face and he put it on. And then I said, you know, if you can keep this on your face, I have a quick errand I need to run at Fred Meyer. Do you want to come with me? And he said, yes, I want to come with you. Immediately after this, Nathan started panicking because he felt like he couldn't breathe with the mask on. So he threw a tantrum and said, we're going to die. We're going to die. We can't breathe with these masks on. And I'm trying to calm him down. But it's uh, for anyone who's been around toddlers, you know that when a toddler's having that level of a meltdown, it's really hard to convince them through logic that they are able to breathe. So we take the mask off and I say, okay, if you want to come with me, when we get to the store, you're going to have to put this mask back on. I'm not sure how it will go, but he agrees. So we get to the parking lot and I show him, I put on my mask. And I tell him, I can breathe, take deep, slow breaths. And then Nathan puts on his mask and I look at him and I say, Nathan, I want you to take deep, slow breaths. And I want you to know that if I can breathe with this thing, you can breathe with this thing. And he looks at me and says, mom, that's true. If you can breathe, I can breathe. And in that moment, I thought, What a profound picture of what it is that we offer to one another in this season, the kind of encouragement that we offer to one another. Um, Even if it's just over Zoom or in the ways we're able to do that at a distance, we get to look at one another and say, if I'm still breathing, you're still breathing, and we do this together, right? That's the encouragement that we offer for one another.
we encourage one another to hold on to a spiritual reality that might contradict what we see and hear even in our own homes on a daily basis. And we tell each other that we can take another step forward because we can hold on to that. The beauty of following Jesus is that it was never meant to be an individual journey, no matter what we've been told about that. It is a communal one. And our need for encouragement is communal as well. Um, You don't have to force yourself to cling to the belief that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to get you through the next day. You get to be a part of a group of people that say that for one another and believe that on one another's behalf. And that we can be free to admit to one another, I'm having a hard time believing that. Will you believe it for me? Will you remind me um, that there is sun shining on the other side of these clouds, even though I don't see it? You're part of a collective that believes that with and for one another. And so today, um, my invitation for us um, in a little bit as we move to uh, move towards reflection time is I just want to give us space to actually um, share with one another how small moments of community are fueling gratitude for us and who are the people that help us hold on to Paul's picture of spiritual reality. Um, I thought about asking the question, what helps us hold on to that spiritual reality? But I'm convinced from this passage that it is who helps us hold on to this spiritual reality. Um, God's best gifts to us always come in the form of other people. Um, that is true during a pandemic. That is true in times of health and plenty. And so I want to give us space to share who are the people that remind us of spiritual reality when we can't, we don't have what it takes uh, to believe it ourselves, who are the people that help us keep going and help us cross um, the finish line together? Let me pray for us. God, thank you um, for these beautiful words that Paul offers this church many, many, many thousands of years ago. Um, thank you for the way um that it is a reminder to us that our gratitude is rooted in community um, and that part of why we exist is to remind one another of spiritual reality that is true in our present moment, um, that we remind one another of the way the kingdom is coming through small acts of kindness and justice and generosity, um, that you give us the gift and the privilege um, of walking with one another, even at a weird distance in this moment, um, and of looking one another in the eyes and saying, if I can breathe, you can breathe. We're doing this together. God, would you turn our attention um, to the ways that community is fueling gratitude in us and to the people who make up our community that are part of that work, that remind us and point us um, toward what is true. God, would we be encouraged as we share those things with one another? Um, and would we walk uh, forward into this week, um, again, in small, faithful ways, offering that encouragement to one another, uh, to other people in our communities, not because we're denying the reality we see around us, but because we're rooted um, in both reality and in also a spiritual reality that is just as true. We ask this in the name of your, um, of our risen Lord, who is Lord of all creation, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>